peace of Christ be with you. Give yourself the gift of about three deep breaths so that you can fully arrive here. You can open yourself to the presence of the living spirit right here and right now. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Please rise in body or spirit for the call to worship. Let us begin worship in gratitude for our shared home. We give thanks for those who have led us well. We offer praise. Those who serve have the whole and the greater good. We pray for discerning spirits and deliberative bodies that we might inhabit this land with wisdom and care. You may be seated. You'll notice Bethany isn't here today. Uh, her family, or portions of her family, as well as portions of Jeff's family, have all come down with COVID. So, ask that you would keep them in in your prayers. Um, 
and uh, that they might be back in good health soon. Let's join together in our community prayer, praying with one voice. Let us pray. God, you were before our own creations. Your realm is eternal. We seek to live within our time faithfully as your people. We seek to trust your hand at work in the world and be constructive members of our communities near and wide. We also look to notice where our way of being together is out of sync with your way. Forgive us when we have gone along with what is merely easy or popular, whether it is in unjust disobedience or unjust compliance. Grant us discerning spirits in communities work together to help this world resemble heaven evermore. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Friends, hear the good news of the gospel. In Christ, there is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Know that we've been forgiven, know that we've been set free, and be at peace. Amen. One of the ways that we grow stronger as a community and connect with one another is to share what's going on in our lives. So come into a time of sharing of joys and concerns. If you have something you'd like to share, just wave at me and speak up when called upon. Ruth E. Oh, thank you. Ruth E. remembers fondly her Uncle John who passed away at 95 yesterday and was the last among his generation. We give thanks for his life. Others? Yeah, Deborah. That sounds wonderful. So Deborah gives thanks for an experience she and Forrest had at a monastery at Monks of Mount Tabor. Is that what, yeah, nearby? And what a powerful spiritual experience that was. And we give thanks for anything that helps us open the portal uh, to God and, and to Christ. It's wonderful. Others? Any? Any? Well, let's come together in a time of prayer then. Holy One, we do give you thanks for any moment that rubs thin the veil between heaven and earth. Any instance in which we experience your grace. We offer to you the prayers of our hearts, those that we've spoken aloud and those perhaps too tender to share. 
we trust that you know what we're carrying and we offer it to you in that same confidence. Bond us together as followers of you that we might be supportive of one another, encouraging, challenging when necessary, but always in love. We pray these things, indeed we pray all things in the name of the one who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
beautiful, and it's nice to have some new voices, uh, or new for, new for now, maybe a return, <laughs> maybe a return to the choir for some. Wonderful. Do we have children here? Christine and Andrew's not here, is he? Oh, oh Eric, I did, Eric, good, great, send him down. <laughs> All right, I, Eric, I saw you walk in, I didn't see them. Come on down. I almost didn't, I didn't have anybody to talk to. Reminds me of high school. <laughs> you all are going to explore a very interesting story in the Sunday School, and usually we give a preview of that here. It's such a complicated story, I decided not to even try. So I'll do something a little different with you, and I'll leave Sunday School to tackle that story. Do you ever get uh, angry? Or you say, yeah, or frustrated? Anybody ever say something and it makes you get um, maybe defensive a little bit? Like somebody says something critical. Sometimes I just want to explain why they're wrong or argue back at them. And maybe, I'm sure this hasn't happened to you, but it's happened to me. Maybe you say something that you wish you hadn't said. Yeah, I've done that before. We believe that Jesus wants us to show up as our best version of ourselves, right? So the me when I'm sort of calm and under control and I've maybe thought about things a little bit so that the best version of me can show up to any interaction. Does that sound reasonable? Does that sound like that's what Jesus might want? Well, I was away last weekend for uh, some enrichment stuff for my son. You know Liam. And uh, he sort of went to some workshops, and then Sherry and I, Liam's mom and I, went to some workshops about how to help be a good parent and to learn about how kids think and learn about the brains of kids. And one of the things we were taught is this very simple exercise that's good for any age, and it helps the best version of ourselves show up, which I think is what Jesus would want. Do you want to know the trick? Because it'll, it'll help save a lot of... Uh, maybe getting in trouble or doing things you regret. All you do is you slow down and you take three deep breaths. Could you do that with me? Brain scientists say that's all it takes to reset your nervous system and allows a better version of you to show up. Now, isn't that cool that you can learn a tool like that that can help you do what Jesus wants you to do, and it doesn't cost any money, and you can use it as many times as you want all day long. So that's your takeaway for today. When you run into a situation like that where maybe you're getting worked up or you're not sure what to do or struggling with mom or dad, you just three breaths and watch how it changes, okay? And I want you to, uh, you, can, you can tell your dad after the service what you learned in Sunday school about, about Hagar and Ishmael. That's why I'm not doing the story here. Who has, that's a complicated one. So I'm gonna say a prayer for you and then we'll sing you out, okay? Where's our Sunday school teacher for today? Oh, great, good, Jackie. Okay, so I'll have Jackie come on down while I offer a prayer. Dear God, gosh, it's hard sometimes to show up as our best selves. 
So help us remember to slow down and to take a few breaths so that we can be the people Jesus wants us to be. Bless us, O oh God. Amen. Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the love of God surround you everywhere, everywhere you The first scripture reading is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Listen to what the Spirit is saying. For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme or of governors as sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing right, you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. As servants of God, live as free people, yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. And now couple that reading with this one. Exodus 1, 15 to 22. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra, and the other Pua. When you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on their birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. They let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they're vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. It's so good. I mean, it's so good. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, during the service, I noticed a large green white and red stripe behind the altar covering the entire wall and it was a huge sanctuary and it hit me part of the way through the service what this was this was the mexican flag and then what hit me shortly thereafter was the fact that i was totally unbothered by this which is interesting because i as i thought about it i came to the conclusion if i'd been in an american church and i walked in and saw i would have walked out because I have a discomfort in my own context of, of Christian nationalism, of, murder, of those lines becoming too blurry. And you might be saying, yes, because it's a corrupting influence on the state, which I would agree often. But where I sit, 
my primary concern is the state of the church, and it's even worse for the church. Every time the church tries to do this, right, it gets kind of in bed, uh, not in offering influence or comment, but on merging its power, that's the key, with the state. It's mutually corrupting, it seems. But all this does raise the question on this 4th of July weekend of what is the Christian's relationship to their nation state or their local government or authorities that are civil in nature. I've largely, because of the reasons I just stated, stayed away from all this. I mean, there's plenty you can do to celebrate the 4th out in the community and express your patriotism, and so I've never felt the need to really bring that into the church. But there is a need to maybe wrestle with, well, what does it mean to be a faithful Christian and live within a civil society? Well, the tradition has wrestled with this question throughout time, and the fact that I've said wrestled should indicate that it's come to some different conclusions. You just heard two of them that quite different. I've been teaching a, a series on the confessions, the Presbyterian confessions. You should think of those as professions rather than confessions. Statements of what the church says it's about, what it believes at different points in time. And not surprisingly, it said different things on this matter. The Barman Declaration, which was written in response to the horrors of the Holocaust, wrestling with and repenting for the reality that segments of the German church got in bed with Hitler produced a very powerful statement that said over and over again, our only allegiance, our primary allegiance, our supreme allegiance is to Jesus Christ, period. That's it. And time and again, there's a refrain in Barman, and therefore we reject any false doctrine that, and then the phrase changes throughout the confession, but they all amount to the, the notion of anything that tries to trump your allegiance to Christ uh, is false doctrine that only Christ deserves our full allegiance. Okay? But if you look at the earlier Scots Confession, confession that gave birth to the Church of Scotland, which gave birth to this church, says this. It affirms that, quote, empires, kingdoms, not even democracies, dominions in cities are appointed and ordained by God. Both in the Book of Confessions. Your elders make vows to the Book of Confessions. Which, which one is it? The Apostle Paul said to submit to the governing authorities. Augustine, St. Augustine, said an unjust law is no law. The scriptures you just heard likewise seem to point in different directions. I say actually they do point in different directions. First Peter says, honor the emperor. Again, not the duly elected leader, the emperor. While Exodus heralds two women who did the opposite, who stood up to the emperor, the pharaoh, the king. Imagine the courage that that took. Those two women, Pua and Shifra. Pharaoh says, kill every Hebrew boy that is born. And what do they say? Oh, by the time we get there, they've already given birth. We can't do it. I mean, f funny and witty and so brave. They defy the king. Which is it? That's why it's nonsensical 
or at least too simplistic to say, I believe the Bible. I follow the Bible. I believe in the confessions. I follow the confessions. Because they don't speak with one voice. Yes, there are sweeping themes throughout Scripture. You can't just make it say whatever you want. But it's, McLaren calls the Bible not a book, but a, a library. It's a collection of voices. It's a conversation. And sometimes the voices speak in tension to one another. The confessions likewise, to which we make vows in the church. Our intention, it's a collection of statements, not one statement. It's a collection of statements. And so the thoughtful Christian has to wrestle with the tradition by the guidance of the Holy Spirit to come to make decisions on how they engage the world in which they live. It's... It's a harder way to do it than to just try to regurgitate things, but I believe it's a more faithful way to wrestle with all of this. I'll make a case today for times when you don't want to, well, maybe you always want to honor those in charge, but you don't want to respect the edicts they've put in place, and maybe there's even an occasion to violate those. But let's first recognize why people come to that conclusion that we should follow the authorities that are in place, democratic or not. One, some, I think, really believe God's providence in all of that. Maybe in some sort of twisted, long, uh, unfolding way, but somehow God's hand is in the workings of the world and they trust that. I think that's a belief of many. Uh, two, they may live in a society where they believe in the processes. We are blessed enough to live in a society where the people get to choose. I get to watch Sharon help us host the elections uh, more than once a year in this building. People get to choose who's in charge. What a gift, right? So because out of that belief in the process, they say, therefore, you follow what happens because you had a hand in choosing it. And then there are... Um, those, and there's those moments when, when people of faith have argued for going along with the authorities out of sheer survival. Right? They just want to keep the movement alive and they don't want to be wiped out. And before we get judgmental about that, we should realize we're here because of some of those people. In fact, you can see a lot of this show up in the later letters of the New Testament. In those places like 1 Peter, where they talk about kind of falling in line Ironically, this is where some of those codes that get contemporary Christians all riled up about gender norms, those often come from the early Christians accommodating themselves to the Roman norms of the day, the Roman household codes, because we actually know that the early Christian groups were more egalitarian in terms of gender than was the wider Roman society. But because they didn't want to be wiped out, they started to adopt the wider practices of the culture. So we can judge that, but at least understand where it came from. So they want to survive, and that's why they have done it. Now, I would say, in spite of all that, surely we don't think that every leader and every rule that's ever been put in place was ordained by God. If we do, we either have to understand a far longer and maybe perverse timeline of things, and we also have to then, therefore, see the fingerprint of God on every tyrant that has ever ruled. Run through the list in your head. 
Are you willing to make that confession? It's too far for me to go. So, can you love your country? Of course. Of course. And you can critique your country, or your state, or your city. In fact, the two are not opposed, they're aligned. Critique is a form of love when it's done right, when it's done earnestly. When you critique someone, you're hopefully trying to make them better. And you make them better because you love them, you care about them, you want them to be their, their best self. So you have a right to do that. Well, what about rules then put in place by leaders? Are we allowed to violate laws? Well, not lightly, I would say. Not casually, not just when we feel like it. But yes, I believe there's a time like Augustine when you appeal to a higher law and you have to violate them or stand against them. Remember what some of the laws have been and think for yourself whether you want to put God's fingerprint on them. Slavery was the law of the land. Jim Crow, law. Not letting women vote, law. Two-thirds of the church, by the way, it's almost always women are two-thirds of the church. Anti-LGBTQ stuff, on and on and on. Many of the things that we now recognize as essential to life used to be uh, law or illegal or the other way around. So there are times when perhaps we have to stand up and say no or even defy that. Now, some would say, oh, don't go there. Church should just never go there and should stay out of it. A prominent evangelical pastor lately uh, spoke to this uh, and argued for this, in essence. Now, to be fair to him, he was critiquing the brand of Christianity in which he finds himself and critiquing uh, their engagement in the public and political sphere. So I think he was really trying to do self-critical work, and that's always admirable. But his answer was this, that the church should restrict itself to two things, ministering or speaking to the human heart, and two, ministering to the victims of societal ills. And on the surface, you know, not bad things. Diana Butler Bass pushes back, however, and she says that's effectively telling the church, you've got to stay in your lane. Jesus, stay, stay in your lane over here. And what Diana Butler Bass says is Jesus had one lane, and that was proclaiming the kingdom of God, the reign of God. And that reign is not a personal, private, devotional reign. And that reign isn't just dealing with the aftermath of unfair things. That reign is about a new vision for how we relate as a people on a broad a scale as you can imagine. And so not only does the church have the, the permission to wade into broader territories, it has the mandate. Back to the Confessions. Confession of 1967, a fantastic document. We just studied it last week in class. C67, as it's called, says this. In each time and place, there are particular problems and crises through which God calls the church to act. So these are, these are broad these are not just sort of personal, spiritual crises. The church, guided by the Spirit, humbled by its own complicity, so not self-righteous, but recognizing ways in which it may have been complicit in the injustice, and instructed by all attainable knowledge, so not 
ignorant of the wider knowledge, seeks to discern the will of God and learn how to obey in these concrete situations. In other words, how to live in the actual physical material world. And then it goes on to list the issues of the day, which you can imagine what those issues were in 1967. A lot about race, a lot about international strife, wrestles with the possibility of nuclear annihilation, wrestles with changing sexual norms of the day. Now, C67 is not about pushing a theocracy. That's never the mandate of the church, I would say. It's about creating a more just society for all, whether they claim our religion or another religion or nobody's religion. It's good to minister to the injured of societal ills. It's good to speak to the human heart. I believe that. I just believe it's not good enough. And I believe it wasn't good enough for Jesus. The gospel writers go to great lengths to place Jesus firmly within the prophetic tradition of the Old Testament prophets. And the Old Testament prophets didn't just speak to the heart, and they didn't just speak to the victims of ills. They seek to redress what was wrong in their societies and to hold folks accountable to that. The gospel writers make it clear that Jesus is in their line. And similarly, Jesus didn't just touch hearts. He touched bodies. At the most literal of level levels, Jesus was a healer. I mean, you can read those stories on lots of levels, but you cannot deny that the people who told stories about him told stories about him healing bodies. So you can't just spiritualize everything so it can be tucked away over here. Because we have to be concerned about bodies too, including bodies with wounds, not to put too fine a point on it. So I've given myself just two paragraphs, so I could get in more trouble if I went on probably, to talk about abortion. Not Roe versus Wade, by the way. I'm not qualified to get into the legalities of that in the case law behind it. Above my pay grade. But abortion is a, is a theological issue. And I'll tell you where I stand because it's better than just than being coy about it and making everybody guess and be uncomfortable. It, if you attended the class I led a couple of weeks ago, I shared there and I'll share here that I'm strongly in favor of what I would call reproductive rights for women choosing their own reproductive health, including access to a safe and legal abortion. And I do, I say that as a, as a Christian conviction. To me, that's a, that's a matter of faith, not a matter of other alignments. I, I stand in line with um, the Jewish scriptures that talk about the loss of a pregnancy, not as the, not as the killing of a person or the taking of the life. And actually, in, in Jewish law, it's the loss of property. Now, I don't say that to in any way downplay anybody's personal or otherwise experience with the loss of a pregnancy. That can be traumatic, it can be life-changing, so I, don't want, I wanna be careful how I speak about that. But because of that, that law and that interpretation of that law, there's a long Jewish tradition of understanding abortion as not going against the law of God, but being actually in compliance with it. So that's where I anchor myself theologically and spiritually. 
Now that said, I can genuinely understand, and I can't on all issues, but on this one, I can genuinely understand how many come to the opposite conclusion as a matter of faith. Who can point to the same Jewish scriptures, notions, notice Jesus doesn't talk about it, but in the Jewish scriptures, talking about how God knew someone in the womb, right? I, I know those texts and why people draw on them and can understand why as a conviction of Christian faith, some would say that's taking up a life and I cannot go along with it. So the good news, if you agree with me, there's a space for you here next week. And if you don't agree with me on that, there's a space for you here next week as we wrestle together to figure out what's the most faithful way to order our society. The reason I put myself in the place I do is it just seems to me, again, as a matter of faith, if we want to cultivate a culture of life, which I do, and I think most people who care about this issue genuinely do, I just think there's so many other things we could do to create that culture than to remove that ability for women to have that option. That's just where I stand and how I get there. I was away last weekend, as I told the children. And it was either the day of or the day after Roe v. Wade was overturned. And I was sitting with a couple of families, and each of them had a story to tell. And each of their stories went like this. They had a pregnancy they desperately wanted. And each of them were told by doctors partway through that the pregnancy was entirely not viable was not going to survive to term. We're not talking about quality of life, we're talking about life. But on top of that, the continuation of the pregnancy put the mother at grave risk, could kill them, not just make them sick, could kill them, might well kill them in one of the cases. And each of those families said, well, what happens if I live in a place where that's not allowed? In fact, it was very difficult for them to get that care even in places they, where it was allowed. One of them was in New York City because it was not six weeks, it was much farther along. A world where that's not allowed, to me, just doesn't feel like the reign of God, which is what Jesus, that's his lane. We don't have a flag up front, and I'm glad for that. Not because I don't love my country, we have a cross because the cross is the reminder of our truest allegiance, of the supreme authority in our life, the one in whose image we want to model ourselves best we can, even as we wrestle, the one whose vision we're charged with trying to carry out. That's a good place to start, even as we wrestle about ways to make it come to pass. Amen.
Amen. You may be seated. Uh, one prayer concern I neglected to mention. Were any of you here at the workshop we did, gosh, it must have been pre-COVID, about nonviolent communication? It was a Saturday event. About 20, okay, at least one. Um, oh, yeah, others. And I'm reminded of this because we've got some folks here with connections to the Fairfax Community Church. That workshop was led by a woman named Ruth Mordecai. Um, Ruth went in for, Ruth was a, a pastor and a counselor and many other things, and she went in for a rather routine surgery and had a blood clot and did die this week. And that's a real loss to, she was involved at the Interfaith Counseling Center. I know she's involved at the Fairfax Church. Uh, Doug Hunnicky was actually the one who told me. So Doug and Barb, I know, had probably interactions with her from well before. So I join with others in, in mourning her loss, even the struggle to give thanks for the gifts that she offered in teaching us how to be together in a more loving and compassionate way. Well, we can take our grief as well as our joys and our questions and our friends and maybe even our enemies to Christ's table to seek reconciliation, to seek new life, to seek sustenance and encouragement as we go out into the world. Communion here is an open invitation. If you feel led to this table, you are invited to this table. We believe that Christ calls all those who would come. When we begin the communion time, the ushers will offer to dismiss you row by row, and you're just invited to come down to the center aisle to take of the bread and of the cup and then return to your seats. There is a gluten-free option. If you're unable or, un, or for whatever reason would prefer not to come forward, there'll be one person walking around looking for you. Just raise your hand. They're happy to bring you the elements to your seat. Should you like a time of private prayer, I'll be standing off to one of the sides here. I'm happy to say a blessing with you or just listen to your prayer requests. We're reminded, though, that we don't just come to the table as we are. We're called to, the come, to come to the table at least committed to reconciliation. And that's why we share the peace of Christ before we come to the table, not simply to say hi, but to say, I want to be one with you in Christ. So I invite you now to turn as you're comfortable in these COVID days and offer the peace of Christ to those around you.
if y'all clap, you undo the whole point, which is get everybody quiet. Yeah, just add me to the long list of pastors who have squashed the joy out of worship. So, no, it's... I'll zip it next time. This is the joyful feast. A feast that we are told they'll come from north and south and east and west to sit together at this table. Now, I'm capable of doing this whole thing by myself. Okay, I've studied for this moment. Uh, but I feel not only lonely without Bethany, but I, don't, I like the symbolism of this never being served alone. Because it dispels of the myth that this is somehow my magical power, my power alone. So I'd love for someone to come and help Sharon. Oh, come on up. Because this is a people's table, right? And, and Sharon's an elder, but as far as I'm concerned, you don't have to be an elder to do this. So you want to you break and pour? You want to do that? You do the break? Yeah, just do, I'll, I'll do the words if you want, unless you want to pray. Okay, I'll do the, I mean, no notice, give her a break. So uh, I'll do the words, why don't you, when it's time to break, break, when it's time to pour, pour. Lord, God be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to God. It is indeed right to give you thanks and praise, O God, you who are the maker of all things, you who are creator. It's from your womb that all of this was birthed. And we continue to experience you flowing throughout creation, unfolding in ever new forms of creativity and form and diversity. We marvel at how your creation works, so much of it still relegated to the realm of mystery for us. Whole ecosystems supporting one another. Peoples living, seeking harmony with the world. We stand in gratitude and praise for the beauty and the functionality of this creation. We're mindful, O oh God, that you continue to permeate what you have made. And at key moments, you send special emissaries, messengers, angels, we call them, into the world to show us how to come home to your heart, to your place in dream and vision of love for what you have made. And we give thanks for them, some of them famous, some of them unknown in the annals of history, prophets and priests and poets and teachers and parents and encouragers and mentors and workers and quiet prayers, all of whom call us home to the heart of love. In the fullness of time, O oh God, out of your heart came forth the one that we call the Christ. And in Jesus of Nazareth, we see you as fully as we claim we've ever seen you. Your law, your love made flesh to try and teach us how to enflesh your law and love as well. We ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon these, your gifts, this, your, bread, your gift of bread, this, your gift of cup, and this, your gift of community, knowing that it's together in the bond of your spirit that we become the communion of the one we call Christ. And now, O oh God, mindful of those who've gone before, and even of those who will come after and of those who are far across this land, mindful that we are joined at this table mystically 
we join our voices with choirs of angels in all times and places singing your praise. Friends, on the night of his arrest, Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, after they had supped, Jesus took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, each time you drink of it, remember me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's saving life, death, and resurrection until he comes. Come, for all things are ready. I invite you to join in singing the communion hymns.
Across the ages, 
Gracious and loving God, we have met you at this table and found your eternal presence right here waiting for us all along. We trust that we've been filled up with your goodness and your grace and your courage and your love and ask that you would send us out in humility and confidence into the world to share that grace and goodness. We ask that you would also give us eyes to recognize where you are already at work, at work in others, others who may be very different from us, that we might see each other as partners in living into the kingdom that you dream for us. So send us out with your special blessing, O God, having filled us at this table. In Christ's name, amen. A number of things to point to that are going on in the life of this beloved community. I want to begin with a, a special celebration. So, Barb, you want to say a couple of words here? Thank you, Barb, for lifting that up. It's, it's Jesus Posada, our sexton's birthday tomorrow. As Barb mentioned, he'll be retiring at the end of this year, so it really should be a year of celebrating him, and be our last chance to celebrate his birthday in this role. Doesn't mean we won't be able to celebrate it in the future, but give him a happy birthday on the way out, if and when you see him. I won't highlight everything that's in the bulletin, but as always, I'll encourage you to take a look at it. Take a look at the e-news that you're hopefully getting in your inbox each week. If not, let us know, and the website as well, but I will highlight just a couple of things. Uh, the first is that, that announcement about the Death Cafe. These are things that have been making the rounds, not just in churches, actually primarily outside of churches, as places where people can talk openly and honestly about death uh, and many aspects surrounding that issue, which is, is kind of taboo in our culture, but so important. And we thought it was important to offer that as a possibility in the church as well. So check that out. Uh, we begin this week, first Thursdays, to be hosting those. If you'd like to learn more, there's information there, but I wanted to lift that up to you. Uh, Deaf cafes have, like, packed coffee houses around the country. So um, it's clearly an issue that matters to people, and so we're honored to host that in the confines of the church as well. But it's not just for church people. Others, of course, could come. Uh, secondly, I want you to make sure you avail yourselves of a couple of things in the narthex that you may just walk by every week and not notice. Remember the youth and children put together that lovely prayer box where you could submit a prayer and you can also pull one out if you'd like to pray for someone else. I encourage you to use that in either or both those fashions, either submitting your own prayers or praying for others, either on a Sunday or any time during the week, you can come in and offer those prayers. Um, secondly, on the, on the table out in the narthex, there are surveys that we've had for, out for quite some time the purpose of those surveys is to get a sense of what you care about so that we could better connect you to those ministries in the church or what you might be willing to do to serve, uh, whether it's being an usher or recording the services or serving meals to others. So we'd love it if you'd fill those out and stick them in the box there so we can better connect you to what your heart might be leading you to do. Uh, also mentioned there's still a bunch of COVID tests out there. There are a few on the table and then there's a whole box, another case of them. Take as many as you want. 
uh, and pass them out to those who may be in need. Case in point with the staff right now, this thing is not quite over. Uh, and finally, just a reminder that in honor of Jesus's birthday, the office will be closed tomorrow. Um, no. No. In, in honor of the fourth, the office will be closed. If you have a pastoral emergency, of course, just call and you'll, you'll get put through to my phone. But I do hope that you have a safe and joyful and grateful uh, holiday celebration. With that, let's join together in our closing hymn, number 749. Let that third verse carry you out into the world and become your song. And as you go from this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, in the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and every day. Amen. Amen.